You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Uh, okay, I guess you don't have a team. Who do you support? Who was it? Someone say Chelsea? Someone say Bayern? Someone say Arsenal? Someone say South Africa? Did someone say Manchester United? Amen, amen. Uh, I hope you guys are fired up today. We are are in 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 12. You guys still fired up? Don't die on me quickly like the black guy in a scary movie, guys. Stay fired up with me. We're going to get into the Bible here. You know, you, you, you got all the different teams. I couldn't tell who was who and who was supporting who, and it sounded like a little rebellion right there. And yet we know in the kingdom we are all one family. We are all one team, and I'm excited for today. Of course, when we get out on a football pitch, we're not going to be playing against one another. We're going to be playing against our pride. We're going to be playing against our laziness. We're going to be playing against our lack of humility. And we're going to be playing against all of that stuff that congregates right around the middle right there. We're going to be fighting against that enemy. We're in 2 Samuel in chapter 12. We'll get into verse 18, 16 rather, uh, verse 18 before we get into the lesson. Uh, You know, uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter, as an intro in chapter 2, that you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to who? That he called you out of darkness into what? Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received what? And that is exactly what we are fired up about. We're fired about the grace of God. And, uh, you know, I I look at that verse about us being a royal priesthood. Of course, the royal priesthood is just highlighting in the Old Testament the priests interceded between God and the world and and, and, or God and the the disciples. And you go to the priest, he talked to God, and then the priest would tell you the word of God. But now true disciples, all true disciples are, are priests. In a sense, they intercede between God and a lost world right there. That's pretty cool, right? So those who get baptized can just tell your family and friends that you just became a priest right there, biblically. Uh, And yet, as we get into 2 Samuel, we we see, dare we say, the royal family, David's family, him being the king, all of his relatives surrounding him, giving him support and structure. And, of course, we remember how in chapters 11 there, there are some things that happened that were pretty, pretty rebellious in the heart of David. Uh, And so I've just entitled today's lesson, Rebellion in the Royal Family. Rebellion in the Royal Family. Now, some of the characters in the family that we're going to look at today are, of course, the king. That's King David. We'll look at his rebellion. Amnon, one of the members. Jonadab, one of the cousins who gives terrible advice. Tamar, of course, the sad things that happened with her. Joab, this guy was an incredible military leader, but he was quite unspiritual at times. Ahithophel, this guy was the incredible, incredible counselor. He gave great discipling, great input, but guess what? He gets rebellious. 
rebels against David. And then, of course, one of the biggest characters in the account we'll look at today, Absalom. Absalom becomes disappointed and gets rebellious in his heart. And then we look at, dare we say, a remnant guy who was in the former fellowship, Saul's leadership, Saul's family. Saul's now dead, though. We know that in the Bible. King David is now taking over the leadership. Saul's dead. And so all of those in Saul's family had, had started to come on over and join David's spiritual family. Uh, but there was a guy who, who just did not want to join. He was stubborn. And he was rebellious. His name is Shimea. We'll look at him at the end. Now... Uh, of course, we got our football match today, amen. And uh, I'm excited because we have uh, a group that is going to help us to be loyal to all the rules and encouragement and all that. This group is called FIFA. And instead of them ruining the beautiful game with rebellion and corruption, they're going to encourage the beautiful game we play afterwards. And of course, they're called FIFA because they're fired up individuals faithfully assisting the Lord right there. That's Michael Hart and that's your brother, Jock Renwalt. Yet, we, 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 most of us who are football fans know what happened with FIFA. And if you don't, I'll remind you. Some of the most powerful executives in soccer or football were arrested in Switzerland on Wednesday in what prosecutors called a generation-long scheme to corrupt the most popular sport in the world. U.S. officials indicted a total of 14 officials in a 47-count bribery scandal. The indictment includes charges of rebelliousness and fraud, bribery, money laundering, dating all the way back to 1991. It consists of World Cup a bid process and lucrative marketing and television contracts for the World Cup and the qualifying tournaments that were manipulated. Uh, the sports marketing executives, the middlemen who sell the media and the marketing deals for FIFA, were accused of paying or agreeing to pay more than $150 million in bribes, rebelliousness, kickbacks to FIFA, the officials, to keep the contracts. When Brazil hosted in 2014, the World Cup tournament brought in four billion U.S. dollars. Dare we say there's been major rebelliousness in the beautiful game, and it has tarnished FIFA and the game of football. You know, rebelliousness is really not so good. And really, if we just look at it spiritually, rebelliousness is really just being impatient with God. Let's look at 2 Samuel, chapter 2. Rebellion in the royal family. You know, I got to give you a running start. Okay, before we get, you, gotta, you remember what happened in chapter 11, right? In chapter 11, the Bible says when, this, when the kings go off to war, David did not go out to war. And, of course, it's the springtime, meaning the ground is dry, it's warm, it's the perfect time to be in a battle, but David is at home. David had gotten, as a king, he had gotten very prosperous. Life had gotten good. Life was awesome. And he had gotten very, very prosperous. And there is a danger in prosperity. Uh, as opposed to what the, the world teaches, and you hear these people preach this prosperity gospel. No, there's a danger in getting prosperous. 
We get tired of long-suffering and adversity. And let me tell you something. David did the best spiritually when he was going through adversity. David did the best spiritually when he was on the run. David did the best spiritually when the spears were coming after him. David did the best spiritually when he didn't know and he was turning to God. He did the worst when he got prosperous. What happened after that? He didn't get into the battle. I really believe sins of omission lead to sins of commission. See, it isn't that he just you just commit a sin. No, when you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. But then once you once you're there, then you then you, then you can get into the big stuff. That's what happened with David. Uh, then he's walking around on his rooftop. He gets bored. See, you know you're you're in trouble when you begin to get bored as a Christian. See, when Jesus is not Lord, that's when you begin to get bored. There's a lot of work to do in the kingdom. His laziness leads to lust. He begins lusting. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, and now he's got to deal with what I call a problem pregnancy. Because it's a pregnancy not blessed by the hand of God. I think about that, and I go, how many problem pregnancies happen every night? How many problem pregnancies in London, England? How many problem pregnancies around the world? And what I'm talking about here is just when you do something not the right way, not with the blessing of God, and you rebel against his commands. One out of three pregnancies in Europe ends in abortion. Daily Mail. Twelve women a day travel to London from Ireland to have abortions. Irish Post. One in eight gay men in London has HIV. Seven thousand have not reported it and will not report it. That is based out of the London Standard newspaper. He, he begins to have this problem of pregnancy in his life. And then what's he do? Of course, he tries to cover his sin by hiding. You cannot pray for God to make you overcome your sin. I, I want to persuade you that that is not the way to overcome your sin. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Oftentimes, please take this away from me. No, no, no. You must decide, stop rebelling against God, and, and just don't do it. Look the other way. This is not what David did. And then, of course, Nathan, a prophet, comes to him who is a friend that can be trusted with wounds right there. <laughs> And he tells him the truth. And he rebukes David. And David repents in one verse. You remember that, right? Yeah. And of course, even though he repents, we know that in Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says you reap what you sow. So you don't just, God is not going to forgive your sin, but then the consequences are just not going to. Oftentimes, you know, I, I know for my life, I, I, I sin, I mess up, and then I go, okay, I don't want the consequences. Yeah. I, I, I stopped sinning. Yeah, but all those bad checks you wrote, you got to, you, okay. Somebody's got to pay for it. You, you need to pay for it. Sins of some men are obvious. Sins of others trail behind them. And so judgment comes on to David because of the sin of the problem of pregnancy. And that's where we pick it up, chapter 18, okay? Here we go. It says, on the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while David was still living, we spoke to David. But he would not listen to us. How can we tell him child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves. He realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotion, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food, and he ate his servants. Asked, why are you acting this way? 
While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I, I, I thought, who knows? The Lord may be as gracious to me and let the child live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I, I will go to him, but he will not come to me. And the church said, you know what this highlights? David had confidence in life after death. I, I, I've never seen it that way. He, he, he's, he's trying to implore that God, he's trying to move God not to let the consequence of his sin, his rebellion, come on him, and he's trying to pray, but then God says, no, no, the child's going to die. The child dies, and after the child dies, David, he's fired up, and everyone's, what's wrong with you? Well, it's because David had confidence in life after death. He, he was confident. He wasn't worried. He knew he would go and be with that child. The child couldn't come be with him. So it highlights there was no idolatry in his heart because he knew, hey, oh, it's okay. I'm going to go be with that child. Now, if you didn't catch my first point, because I probably didn't announce it, <laughs> that's what happens when you just get going sometimes. Signs of rebellion are ungratefulness. One of the reasons why David got so rebellious is because he got ungrateful. He got prosperous, God blessed him, and he, he got ungrateful for it and started looking around. And that, that, that's when you begin to rebel against God, when you are ungrateful and you start worrying about what you want instead of being fired up about what you got. That's, that's the moment. You're, if, if that's where you're at today, this is a perfect sermon for you because that, 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 that's, you're in trouble. And David didn't know it because everything's good. He said, uh, I want her. And he got rebellious in his heart, and we, we, we know what happens. But yet here he repents. He, he deals with the sins. Then he's got confidence in life after death. I, I just want to ask you, do you have confidence in life after death? Do, do you have confidence in your soul that if you today walked out these doors and an aneurysm hit your neck and you died, you'd go to heaven? You have confidence. Can you, I mean, I know we got football service, but we are the family of God. And we, we, we're in the Lord's gym right now. And so, so, so we, 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 this scared me. I, I wasn't confident. I don't know. Some, some people are. They come to church, they're confident. Maybe they're too confident. I, I wasn't. I was scared. I was, I was hearing the preacher preach. I was like, you know what? If I walk out those doors, I'm going straight to hell. I've been racking up hell points all my life. I've been rebellious. I've been looking at pornography. I've been lusting. I don't love anybody. I love myself. I want the preacher to tell me and go. I, I'm the most I'm the most sinful. I was so I'd cry at night about my sin. Every time I'd come back from the parties, the clubs, I had this little uh, ramp that I would drive down in my after after the late night. And I would drive down and there was this gate that would open up. And as and you hit your, you know, your little gate clicker there and you click and the gate opens up. But it was really dark and, I, and it would go. And I'd drive down, and it was a hill, so it'd go really slow. And I would think, I'm going straight to hell. Because I knew how rebellious I was. You can lie to everybody else. You cannot lie to yourself. And I was scared. I, I, I did not have confidence. I'd go to heaven, and I, I was afraid. You know, many, 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 many people that claim there is no God, uh, you know, there are a lot of skeptics that just did not have confidence they're going to heaven after death. There are a lot of them. They weren't fired up and thinking, well, everything. On this earth, yeah, they may have said what they said, but once they died, they said some things that are shocking. Well, let's read some. How about Sir Thomas Scott? 
former president of the British House of Lords, totally atheist, did not believe. In his last words, he said this, until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know both are a reality. How about Voltaire? This guy was a cynic and did not believe and argued against God. He had a terrible end. Uh, his nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I would not want to relive that evening. He cried for forgiveness like a baby all night long. How about David Hume, noted skeptic, 18th century Scottish atheist who spent his life attacking the miracles in the Bible. Don't let anyone attack the miracles in the Bible, guys. That's why they're miracles. We don't know how they happened. And yet he attacked the miracles in the Bible. He attacked uh, God being an intelligent designer. He attacked all these things throughout his life. Uh, and then once he dies, he was heard shouting, saying this, I am in the flames of hell. How about King Charles IX, who was king of France and died May 30th? He said this, my soul, my soul, what will become of you? I am lost. I see it well right now. How about Government Jarlowski, an atheist Jew, former president of the International Atheist Movement? Want to find out what he had to say? Okay. He was heard saying to his kids, please burn all my writings. Burn everything I've said. Behold the Holy One. He has been waiting for me a long time, and now he's here. But don't let people tell you they're atheists. Maybe a few. They, they believe in the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Everybody thinks about heaven. Everybody thinks about hell. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. Sir Winston Churchill whispered, what a fool I've been. Gingrich Jakota, former secretary of the Russian secret police, he cried out, there is a God. He's going to punish me for all my wrongdoing. John Lennon, when he died, he had mental derangement, and they say he walked around and got on his knees imploring chairs for forgiveness of sin. Chairs. Please forgive me of my sin. Jesus died, and he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And, of course, a personal hero of mine, Harriet Tubman, of course, she led the Underground Railroad. Many slaves that were pulled out of slavery to a land of freedom, highlighting, and, and her nickname was Moses, and she was a woman. Um, 1913, she died, and she was heard pulling her family around, singing, Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home. That, that, that's how you want to go out, knowing the Lord is taking you on home. Question I have for you is, where's rebellion in your heart? Where is it? Don't ask, do you have it? Find out where it is. Is it in your marriage? Is it in your discipling relationships? Is it in your friendships? Is it in your adherence to the Holy Scriptures? Is it in changing your life? You don't want to change your life. Let me tell you something. God has a race marked out for every single one of us. He already marked it out for you. And if you're not running it, it's because you're running somebody else's race. There's only two evils here, or there's only two forces. There's, there's good and there's, there's evil. Those are the only two teams when it comes spiritually. Doesn't matter Manchester and all these other teams. You got two teams, a team of good and a team of evil. God wants good for you. God loves you. God thinks you're awesome. He made you in his image. He didn't make the sun in his image. He didn't make the moon in his image. He didn't make the water in his image. He didn't make anything in his image. He made you in his image. And I, I just got to ask you, where is rebellion in your life? You know one of the areas people rebel? 
Sure, you can rebel in, in marriage. Sure, you can rebel in someone correcting you. Sure, you can rebel in relationships. One of the areas people can rebel, you know, I've seen in the kingdom, people can rebel. You start talking to them about exercising their weight. People get ticked. Oh, you, see the, you see the venom of the devil come out of their heart. Why do you talk to me about my appearance? What's wrong with you? Why? Why not? I, I, I got some gum. I keep it a little fellowship mints for the demons that are in here when I'm fellowshipping. <laughs> I know the demons get in there. They can get in there. My wife, is, she, she helps me out right there sometimes. <laughs> Personal hygiene. I've corrected. Into, hey, brother, sit, you know, I don't usually do the sisters, but I, brother, we got to do this here. <laughs> 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 Why? why? Why are you so offended that someone's loving you that much to help you on out? I know we want something deep and apologetic today, but we just got to be a family. <laughs> Someone talks to you about these kind of areas of your life as a Christian. Do you know the Bible teaches that acts of the sinful nature are obvious? If you're overeating, it's obvious. It's sin. It's sin. It's wrong to overeat. It's wrong to do these things. It's wrong. You know, in the Old Testament, you study it out. They, they, they had a hard time with people. They, they, you got put out of the camp if you were not clean and healthy and had good hygiene. Timothy was corrected in a way that he didn't even, it wasn't even a Bible teaching. Paul came to him and had him circumcised after arguing that you don't need to be circumcised. But Paul did it so he could win people over. You know, someone may talk to you about areas of your life. If you rebel and get all emotional, there's rebellion in your heart. They're just trying to help you be a better Christian. There's nothing wrong with being a better Christian. Are you guys with me here? Number two, rebellion leads to disillusionment. Rebellion leads to disillusionment. You guys still with me? Okay, chapter 13. Here we go. Second Samuel. It says, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, this is the royal family, guys. These are the, they're all related, and you just see every one of them, such rebellion in each one of them. It says, Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister, Tamar. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had a friend named Jonadab. Now, actually, friend, he was actually one of the relatives. Jonadab was one of the relatives. Son of, uh, son of Shimea, David's brother. So he's, he's, this guy, Amnon, is a friend of Jonadab, who's, who's a cousin-like. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Now, you know what? That, that'd be a, that's a, see, there you go. That's being discipled right there on appearance. Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Look at what he Look at this disciple. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. Let me tell you something. Anyone who, who helps you sin against God, I don't care who they are. They, they, they are in rebellion themselves. I don't care who they are. They, they come up with a great plan for you to rebel against God. That, that, that's, that's wrong in the eyes of God. Says when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come to give me some something to eat. Let her prepare food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat from her hand. And if you've read the story, because we've all studied 2 Samuel, yeah. you know what happens here. 
This guy pulls her and sends everyone out of the room. And then the Bible says in verse 12 of, ch of chapter 13, she says, don't, my brother. She said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where can I get rid of my disgrace? What about you? You'd be like one of those wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you, but he refused to listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he raped her. When Amnon hated, then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of here and bolt the door after her. So the servant put her out and, he, and bolted the door after. She was we wearing a richly ornamented robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. We stop right there. Th this is a sordid story. But it actually, sadly, it actually parallels the sordid lust that David had for Bathsheba. It, it kind of parallels that. And, of course, we're going to get to the point where Absalom murders, murders, and it actually parallels David murdering his best guy, Uriah, the Hittite. There's a lot to be learned here. Number one, uh, I mean, he's just disillusioned. He's disillusioned. He's rebelled. He's, he's, he's pretending to be ill. He's pretending to be sick. And he's disillusioned. He's, he's not clear. He, he, he's, he's got this ungodly loyalty to a, an emotion in his heart, and he wants to play it out on his sister. And he was not in love. He was in sin. He was in lust. Lust is not love. You hear the term, making love. Making love, let me tell you, love, love, love is love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-term relationship. Love is you spending time with that woman, that man, and you guys developing something and being there for your darkest moments. Love is, there's a lot, there's a lot of relationships where the physical act of, of connection is there and there's no love involved at all. There's absolutely no love. And in fact, I, I don't believe just the physical act is love. Love is building a family. Love is seeing your kids seeing we love you with the love of the Lord. Love is seeing your son and, and, and seeing him lead a lot of young non-Christian kids in some ways. And they go, wow, this kid, he's the leader. That, that, that's, lo, love, is, love is godly. He's, dis he's totally disillusioned. The world is disillusioned to what love is. Don't let Hollywood tell you what love is. Don't let the TV tell you making love is two people getting together. No, 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 no. That's not love. That's not love. He had a biological drive in his heart, and he just used his sister to fulfill it. He did not love her. And, of course, after it happened, not only was he, but so was she, devastated, totally disillusioned. The unsuccessful result of trying to gratify the desires of the sinful nature always ends and a lack of success and disillusionment. You know, there are a lot of men who are disillusioned. There are a lot of women that are disillusioned. There are a lot of, there are a lot of men who will give the, the appearance, who will say the things of love to get sex. 
there are a lot of women that'll give sex hoping to get love. And you end up disillusioned. Wonder why it doesn't work out. This is not us as a holy family. This is not us as a church. This will not be allowed. This is not true discipleship. Of course, it, it's so rebellious. Let's find out what Absalom does. Chapter uh, two, verse or chapter uh, thirteen, verse uh, twenty-eight. Absalom, he hears about it. He gets silent. He gets mad. He knew something was going on. And then in verse 28, it says, Absalom ordered his men. Listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not ordered this? Have not I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up and mounted their mules and fled. While they were on their way, the report came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's son. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground. And all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother, said, My lord should not think that they, will, that they killed all the, prince, all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's expressed intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king, should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon dead. Okay, well, thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> only, one of, uh, only one of my sons dead. You know what happened after David found out that Amnon and Tamar messed up? You know what he did as a father? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. As a father, he did absolutely nothing. You know what? I studied this out. Do you know David never disciples his kids? I was like, man, how did I miss that for all these? There's never a verse where he sits his kid down and has a discipling time. He corrects him. He teaches him. You don't see that. He doesn't disciple his kids. You know, a true father, a true disciple, a true man of God, you disciple your kids. You don't just let it go. I, I put before you, it, it, it's rebellion not to help and teach and train and correct your kids. And when they, they've not learned any discipling, when you don't teach them that, they, they can get disillusioned. You know, my son had a birthday party yesterday. Of course, it was his birthday a week ago, and he had all his friends come out. It was, it was a really cool thing. Uh, we, we, we met at Haverstock, and, and I organized some games. We did the egg relay, and, you know, so they're the running with the eggs, and then when the egg drops, they put it back on and grab another. It was pretty cool. It was fun. Uh, then we did the water balloon toss, and it, it was great. And so I was kind of organizing everything. And uh, I, I tell one of the kids, I said, uh, Okay, hey, young man, can you, can you come over there and stand up? And he comes over. Hey, you, can you come over there? John, can you come over there? Michael, you go over there. Michael, phew. I said, what? I say, hey, can you, can, you, can you come on over there? I don't want to come over here. We need to do the game right here. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, I say, uh, well, hey, guy, young man, uh, can you please come on over there? No, why don't we do the game here? I go, uh, well, how about this? How about you don't play, and you go sit outside, and I'll tell your parents to come pick you up, and you're done for the day. Okay, guys, we're going to get, oh, whoa, your dad's serious. No, you're, I'm not serious. I'm a 42-year-old man. You're a nine-year-old kid. Just, it's serious. I'm a man. You're a boy. Go over, and he humbly goes over into the line. You got to disciple the kids. 
This is a kid who's not used to discipling. He's not used to someone telling him he's got to do stuff. You know, your father God does not want your opinion about what he wants you to do. He doesn't want your, well, well you, you think you need to become a disciple. You better become a disciple. If you don't, then there's going to be some trouble. Well, I'm offended. Well, better be offended now than on judgment day. David never disciples his kids. Are you a father that doesn't disciple your kids? You are stoking anger in their heart right now. You're building that fire right there because let me tell you something. Absalom, this guy, got, he was so disappointed with his father's lack of discipling. Where do you think Solomon wrote all those scriptures about, about discipline from? Solomon saw a lack of discipline in his family. And all those proverbs, discipline your this, discipline that, they come from Solomon. Solomon was in the royal family. Solomon saw a lack of discipline in his house. You may be here today and never saw discipling in your home growing up. It may have helped you. It may have encouraged rebellion. I, I tell you today, you can change. You can change. True fathers, true disciples, disciple their kids. Not like David. He didn't do it. And it gave birth to disillusionment. He's growing up with an unhealthy view of themselves. And, and it's wrong, and this is not Christianity. Absalom does this wicked thing. He orders them to kill. Uh, it, it's wrong before God. After he orders the men to kill, uh, then he flees uh, to, uh, to what's called Geshur. Now, Geshur was a place David actually... King David had actually married a woman from Geshur. So Absalom, uh, Absalom, once he flees, after he kills uh, um, uh, Amnon right here, after he, he flees to Geshur. He basically flees to his grandparents. He goes up to his grandparents. Once he gets to his grandparents, guess what they do? Nothing. They do nothing. Because that's what grandparents are like. You know how grandparents are. They love you. You're in sin, you get a cookie. You do something wrong, you get another cookie. Oh, come here, baby. Have a seat. They just love you because they're grandparents. They know they're good. They only got a few years. And they just love you. And sometimes that's not the kind of love we need. We don't need to be encouraged when we're in sin. We need a spanking, a little pow-pow. That's what my, my daughter says. She goes, Daddy, I do wrong. I get pow-pow. Yes, that's right. I'm father. I'm not grandfather. And that's the father we serve. We serve Father God, not Grandfather God. Sometimes we want Grandfather God. That's the kind of God we want. Are you guys with me here? Let's preach today, guys. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. Rebellion and manipulating God go hand in hand. Rebellion and manipulating God go hand in hand. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you. And I'm preaching so that we cannot be a people of rebellion. Chapter 14, verse 1. Joab, son of Zariah, knew the king's heart long for Absalom. So Joab sent someone to Tekoya, someone to Tekoya and had a wise woman brought from there. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning. This guy, Joab, was so deceitful at times. He is so deceitful. He knows the only heir to the throne at this stage, Amnon's killed now, he knows Absalom can be the guy. So it isn't like he has this godly desire to help David get unified. He's got his own agenda at mind. He's got his own, and he's trying to manipulate God right here and the, and the plan. He said to her, pretend you're in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and don't use any cosmetic lotions. Act like a woman who has spent many days grieving for the dead. That should not fire up most of the sisters. 
Keep cranking the lotions, sisters. sisters. It's, it's, it's awesome. Lotions are good. Then go to the king and speak with these words to him. And Joab put words in her mouth. This woman uh, is just totally, totally a part of this deceitful plan of Joab's. Joab's is trying to manipulate things right here. Uh, and then we pick it up as the story goes on. Uh, verse 13 says, the woman said, why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered. So we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he divides his ways so that a banished person may not return estranged from him. And now I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. Your servant thought I will speak to the king. Perhaps he will do what his servant asked. Perhaps the king will agree to deliver his servant from the hand of the man who is trying to cut off both me and my son from the inheritance God gave us. And now your servant says, may the word of the Lord, the king bring me rest for my Lord. The king is like an angel of God in discerning good. And she just built him up. May the Lord, your God be with you. Then the king said to the woman, do not keep me from, do not keep from me the answer to what I'm going to ask you. Let, let my Lord, the king, speak, the woman said. The king asked, isn't the hand of Joab with you in all of this? The woman answered, as surely as you live, my Lord, the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything my Lord, the king, says. Yes, it was your servant, Joab, who instructed me to do this and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. Okay, here's what happened. Joab goes and gets this woman from Tekoa and says, hey, I know you just you got this case where, you know, one of your kids killed another one of your kids and, and, and go to the king and talk to him about it and then ask him what his verdict is. And of course, David goes, hey, it's OK. Your, your, your guilt is forgiven. And he goes that way when I, you know, and then ask him kind of about Absalom. Kind of ask him about Absalom. So then she asked about Absalom. Now he's given a decision that he's got to hold up to himself. Right. Because Absalom killed his his brother. So now he's so Joab is trying to manipulate a way to get Absalom back so he can kill him so he can become the next king. That's what he's doing. He's trying to work it so he can get he's not he's not he doesn't care. He's trying because once you study out saying Sam, you start to see Joab is all he's all he's selfishly ambitious. Rebellion and selfish ambition go hand in hand. You start manipulating things and trying to work it and trying to curve God's hand and talk to people and get your little plan going on within the church and you lose your trust in God and then you start putting your trust in man and you start trying to manipulate instead of let God raise you up. You're in trouble. You're in rebellion to God. And that's what Joab did. He began to be manipulative right here. Uh, and manipulation and rebellion go Hand in hand. You guys with me there? Yeah. Chapter 15. Let's bring it in for a close. The rebellious are divisive when disappointed. The, the rebellious are divisive when disappointed. We're looking at Absalom here. Absalom was super disappointed. You know what he's disappointed about? His dad never spent time with him. Super disappointed. His dad never discipled situations. Super disappointed. Even when Joab brings him back, we just got to reading that. Joab brings him back. David still doesn't want to meet with him. Doesn't meet with him. Doesn't spend time with him. 
if there's a great need in the world, it's for fathers to spend time with their sons. It's for the, for, for the, the true unit, the family unit, to be biblically set up in the homes. Where the father is, he's in there. And that, that, that really disappointed Absalom. He got so disappointed. He got so disillusioned. He got so rebellious, so angry. He wanted to take out his own dad. He wanted to take over everything. He gets disappointed, and then he gets divisive. You know, I, I just want to persuade you. If, if you've been disappointed in the kingdom, don't get divisive. Don't get divided. Because there are many things that happen in the kingdom that are just to protect you from you. Discipling is protecting you from you. Look at this here. Chapter 15. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot of horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision. Notice he's not the king. Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? Who do you support? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. I mean, the king, he's so busy. I mean, he doesn't get back to you. I mean, you've texted him. He hadn't said anything. I mean, he's, he's so busy building up the he, he This isn't a king of the people. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't like the people. He's separated from the people. This leader, he doesn't really spend time with the people. Me, on the other hand, here I am listening to you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land. You know, it's so easy to be critical of leadership when you're not leading nothing. That is one of the most cranking, most easily things you could do. That's one. I got in leadership by being rebellious. That's how I got in leadership. I was sitting there going, you know, well, if I were in leadership, we'd do it this way. We'd do it that way. And the leadership said, oh, really? Guys, the new leader for the singles ministry is Michael Williams. I, Hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> I got nervous. I like, oh, no. All of a sudden, those leaders were really awesome. I, hey, guys, can I get some input from you? I was, some of the people don't like me right now, and I just wanted to find out what you do in this situation, you know. It's easy, my rebelliousness. But God worked and helped me to change my heart and learn and get some great discipling. Verse 4, it says, Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case would come to me, and I would see that he gets justice, implying that David is an unjust leader. Also, when anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way towards Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He stole the hearts of the men. He, 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 he stole the church. He stole the church. This is scary. He gets disappointed, and he gets divisive. He gets disappointed, and he gets divisive. Many things can disappoint us as Christians. We see ourselves as a leader. No one gives you that leadership. You think you're a leader, you get divisive. We think we're a women's ministry leader. You're not a women's ministry leader if you're not a women's ministry leader. 
If you're not a women's ministry leader, you know why it's not, you're not a women's ministry leader? Because you're not a women's ministry leader. It's as simple. If you're not a Bible talk leader, you know why you're not a Bible talk leader? Because you're not a Bible talk leader. So don't think you're a Bible talk leader who should be leading a Bible talk when you're not a Bible talk leader. It's pretty simple, right? You know why you're not an evangelist? Because you're not an evangelist. It isn't like you're, you're an evangelist who hasn't, nobody has seen that you should be an evangelist. How awesome, you can't believe how, what who, I should be. Hmm. And that disappointment stokes in your heart, and then you can get a little out, of, you get rebellious. You, you think you're somebody who you're not. You can even believe it. You can even, I've, I've heard this in the movement. You know, I, I could have been an, I could be an evangelist, it's just my wife. If it wasn't for her, we'd be leading something. You know, I could be a women's ministry leader if it wasn't for him. No, you're not a women's ministry leader. You're rebellious. And it's got you disillusioned. And that disappointment can hurt you. I want to protect us from us, guys. I, I just want to protect us. From, I, I think discipling is protecting me from me. I am all these characters. I'm rebellious. I'm deceitful. I come up with, I've done all this stuff right here. I think that's why I'm the leader. You know, sometimes they grab a guy who's done all the sins. That way he can see it pretty clearly. He gets disappointed. And he gets divisive. Signs of Absalom. Popular. Attractive. Everybody loved Absalom, even David. Signs of Absalom. Manipulation. Control. He reached out and kissed everyone's hand. Signs of Absalom. You seek an audience. Trying proving leadership wrong instead of trusting in God. Signs of Absalom. Gathering people to say, who do you support? Them, the leaders, and their unjust, or me who's spending time with you. Signs of Absalom, gossip and slander. Motive of Absalom, revenge, to discredit, to take over. Tools that Absalom uses, love and kindness. Who can resist that? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Absalom is loving. Absalom is nice. But in his heart, there is war. There's rebellion. And these are the tools he used to really hurt the royal family. And you start seeing this. This all started with David's rebellion. So you start to see all this rebellion in the royal family. And they're royal because this is the family that gave birth to you. Because this is the family that gave birth to Jesus. And this is the family where, uh, hey, birth to Jesus is how you got your, your salvation. And you start to see all the weaknesses. You go, man, I can be honest and open about all my sins. <laughs> Because there's all this stuff going on in the royal family. Thank God we are saved by grace. You can't earn your salvation. You cannot earn it. It is a free gift from God. Our last one is the rebellious are stubborn. Rebellious are stubborn. Chapter 16. You guys still with me? Okay, this is this guy named uh, Shimea. Th this is one of the most, this is hilarious, but also a pretty challenging verse. In chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, in verse 5, it says, As the king David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan of Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimea, son of Gerar, and he cursed as he came out. 
you could probably say he's not doing so well spiritually. Anytime someone comes cursing to church, you go, okay. You know, I've sat in Bible studies with people, and they tell me they're a Christian. And you're sitting there, and they go, yeah, and you know, I, I really love the Lord. And one of the things I can't bleep and bleep, bleep and bleep overcome is this. Probably not a Christian right there. Was, you ever done that? You're in a study, and someone swears, and you're like, wow, what rebelliousness. You could sit in a study of the word of God and swear like that. That, that, that's not good. Now, we know we got some cultural differences. Some words are in, in different. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about ones that are swear words all around the world. Are you with me there? And it says he swore as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out of here. You get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son, Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. I don't think he's speaking the truth in love right there. You know what I mean? Someone talked to you like that. You go, wow, that, that, that hurts. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, I'm sorry. Then Yami Bello <laughs> said to the, I'm sorry about that. Okay. Then Yuri Zaika said to the king. Sorry about that. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. <laughs> you know, this says something about these guys. They were loyal. I mean, probably not the best thing to do. You don't want to cut someone's head off. But they, they were loyal to David. You know, we need to be loyal to one another. And yet right here, let's find out what David says. But the king said, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing, because the Lord has said to him, curse. David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son who is my own flesh is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. And the church said, that is totally our attitude in our marriages, right? That, that, that's our attitude. When things aren't going so well and in your marriage, your wife isn't saying what you want her to say. That, that's our attitude as women. We know the Lord is just, maybe the Lord allowed it. David has an incredible trust in God right here. You guys see that? He's pelting him with stones. He, they could have killed him. Now, Shimei, sadly, he does wind up getting killed later on. <laughs> he gets killed later on. But you know the insight here is he was a remnant guy. The word remnant means survivor. He had survived from the former fellowship with Saul. And he just did not want to join. Rebellious. I'm not joining I'm going to stay planet. Look at all this that's happening. It's because of you. And then you know this. He's actually true in a lot of what he says. He's actually true. But God is sovereign. That means everything in life, he allows it or he causes it. And the sovereign God said, King David is the only one who can unify the, 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 the northern and the southern tribes. King David is the new leader. He's the new guy in the land. You got to get behind him. 
Don't be passive aggressive like Abner did. You know what Abner did? Abner, of course, said, oh, David's the new leader. So he puts Ishbosheth in leadership. Kind of a passive aggressive move because he didn't want to join. Abner wound up joining and he gets killed. And right here, we, we, we see again, Shimei just doesn't, well, he's just stubborn. You know, I really believe if, if we've got some brothers and sisters, our former fellowship, they just need to join. There's a stubbornness there. Let us not be stubborn not calling them to join. They may shower you with dirt. They may curse you out. Who cares? Maybe you need it. Maybe it keeps you humble. I mean, if someone ever says something to you in a way that's really not so godly and you just go, amen. I mean, how convicting is that? It says pride breeds quarrels. That means it takes two. I've learned that when someone else is coming on you and you just go, okay, amen. Even if it's, you don't agree, you just go, okay, God sees. Usually the other person gets nervous at that point. I think you're this and I think you're that. Amen. Do you anything you want to share about me? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's stubborn. He just doesn't want to join. He doesn't want to join. We, we got to call out those who are in our former fellowship. I totally believe they are the remnant. We cannot be stubborn to call them. You may be showered with dirt. You may be, they may, but do not rebel against the hand of the Lord. I really believe this is the new movement. This is the church. You need to believe. Don't rebel in your heart. Don't have silent rebellion like Absalom didn't say anything. Don't rebel. In closing, I've only really got one practical. Transform your rebellious heart. Wherever that rebellion is, find it. Just find it. Let someone point it out. Don't think, well, I don't have any rebellion. Oh, that right there is rebellion. Find that rebellion and transform your rebellious heart. Submission to God is your protection against rebellion. Submission is not a bad thing. Submission is protection. I want to persuade you to be submissive to God is for God to protect you. It's not a wrong thing. It's not a weak thing. The world tells you that it's a godly thing. That is where your protection is in submitting to. You may, oh, I'm studying the Bible. I don't know. No, just submit. Don't rebel. There's only three responses to the word of God. Only three. You either repent, you either rebel, or, or run, or persecute. That's it. You go through the Bible and look at the people. When they were called to do something, they either repented and did it, they, they, they ran or rebelled, or they persecuted. And those can be both the same things. If you're studying the Bible today, don't, you, don't, don't rebel. This message is for you. This is God trying to make his appeal to you. Do not rebel. I, I challenge you, support God. Transform the rebellious heart. Say a prayer like this. Lord, change my rebellious heart before it's too late. Now, we've got some individuals that, that, that are truly wrestling with the scriptures. I pray you let God win. To God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H 
www.ghostbusters.org.uk and for all other updates and information whether it's services events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one Bye.